Good morning and welcome. You'll notice uh, in your bulletin there's an insert there, a newsletter. There, there's an evil picture in there. And uh, we only hope and pray that it's not used for blackmail. <laughs> and with that, let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation uh, chapter 5. That first song uh, really tied in our theme here this morning. I don't know, uh, Cheryl, did you, uh, did you read Revelation? Okay. Holy Spirit's working. Hallelujah. I love it because so often, many different times where uh, the worship team doesn't always know what we're, you know, exactly what we're going to do. And uh, the theme comes out in the songs, you know, that uh, we're, we're looking at in the scripture. And uh, as that happens, you're just so thankful for the Lord putting those kind of things together. And I'll read uh, Revelation 5. <clears throat> Excuse me, John writing here. Uh, on the heavenly scene, I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. And then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look upon it. And so I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll uh, or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose uh, its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne and now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood and out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. The living creatures and the elders and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. And they were saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, such as are in the sea and, on, and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, amen. 
And the four, 20, 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. And Lord, we bow our hearts down to you today. And Lord, we declare that Lord, you indeed, Lord, in concert, Lord, with this future song that will be sung in heaven by us and by multitudes, Lord, uh, that you are worthy. And we thank you, Lord, that you laid down your life. And as we look at this chapter today, Lord, we pray uh, that you would grant to us, Lord, uh, just revelation, revelation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, revelation and insight about what's going on in our world and what's to take place in the future. Lord, uh, we realize because of your marvelous grace, Lord, we're able to see things and know things that, Lord, others, Lord, uh, the things are simply hidden from them. So, Father, we pray this morning as we consider and look at these things, we pray once again that you would come, Lord, you would teach us. Lord, give us, we pray, Lord, understanding in such a way that there could be, Lord, personal application, Father, to our lives. For we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We entitled our message this morning, The Line Becomes a Lamb. Uh, and we see that, uh, how that takes place uh, uh, in this particular situation of chapter 5. And as we come to chapter 5, the church age is closed, it's over, it's done with. Uh, and John now sees this dramatic scene unfolding in heaven as he comes on the heavenly scene, uh, as he has here in chapter 4. And John's attention is immediately drawn to the throne uh, and, and to God Almighty on the throne and the, and the scroll that is in his hand. Uh, the scroll has seven seals and uh, there comes this loud voice that announces uh, that who is worthy to open the scroll. Well, the initial answer that comes to John and that we hear from the text is that no one is worthy to open the scroll. And of course, John's reaction to that, <coughs> excuse me, is, a, is a, just a, a convulsive kind of weeping, uh, just a, a, a sense that comes over John um, as he, you know, uh, believes, initially anyway, that no one is worthy to open the seal, the seals of this particular um, uh, scroll. And I think as we look at this particular section here, there are two questions that really come to the forefront, and I think they're very important questions. And the first one is simply this, what is written on that scroll? Why is it that John weeps? What is it that's written, you know, on that scroll? And, of course, uh, <clears throat> we realize that, um, as it says in verse 3, that no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And so John says, I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and to read the scroll or to look at it. Uh, the short answer to that question is simply this. What is contained in that scroll is the prophetic future. Uh, and, and there's no way it possible that anyone could ever know that or see that other than through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, uh, uh, even the great prophet Daniel, when it came to understanding Revelation, and it's true, I think, of not only him, but all the different prophets, they were not able to really assess and understand. They searched, you know, they considered, they were, they were great students of prophecy and of the Bible, but yet, as they even prophesied, they could not fully understand uh, the very things that they were writing. Uh, Daniel says uh, in uh, his 12th chapter at the end, 
the last chapter, it says of Daniel, or to Daniel, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end, for many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased in the end. And of course, what he's speaking about, that there would be a spiritual knowledge that would take place. And of course, you and I have this great advantage, this great privilege that not even the great prophets of old had as far as understanding you know, what would take place at the end. And we see it here, particularly in the book of Revelation. Also, over in Isaiah chapter 29, we see that very same thing taking place with Isaiah. And in verse 11, it says, The whole vision has become to you like the words of a book that are, that are sealed, which men deliver to one who is literate, saying, uh, Read this, please. And he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. But you know, interestingly, Peter explains uh, the, the great privilege that you and I have. And over in chapter 1 of Peter's epistle, his first epistle, uh, he says this in verses 10 through 12, and giving us insight about this very thing, when he says in verse 10, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, um, or carefully rather, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. In other words, the grace that would come to you and I through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They were prophesying of it, but yet they did not fully understand it or even partake of it, because in order for that to happen, Christ would have to come. He would have to go to the cross and be resurrected. But Peter goes on saying this, that these prophets were searching what and what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So relative to the first advent of Christ, the sufferings of Christ, the glories that would follow, that speaks of the second advent. So again here, they're searching. They're searching to understand it, the, the, the timing of it and all those particulars. But here's what Peter says to verse 12, in verse 12 that's very important for you and I. He says, to them... It was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through, excuse me, through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, things which the angels desire to look into. So again, the prophets, the angels, the, the revelation and insight that you and I are given into prophecy is absolutely incredible and would have been staggering to them. And, and what also is important here, too, I think that the scripture in 1 Peter is telling us very simply that it's because of the redeeming work of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that's the only reason that we're able to know what the future holds. That is the only reason because he went to the cross. He paid the price. Uh, just like, in a sense, the veil was opened, also, too, in Christ, revelation and insight is open to you and me. And so each time I think that we read the scripture when it comes to prophecy, and particularly the book of Revelation, I think that we get, you know, we get an increasing insight. We get, I think, layers of revelation. You know, you can read it once and be so blessed by it, as the scripture says. But each additional time you read it, there's something more that God has for you and I <coughs> relative to prophecy and, and the future. And I think that's important because, you know, as we know what's coming down, and again, we may not know the future regarding every um, particular detail of our lives, but I think we can know in a general sense. But I think what's important that we know is what, what the world is facing. 
because we've got a message. And, and as we preach the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and, um, and we talk about the word of God and prophecy to those who don't know the Lord, um, it, it's interesting how God just sort of opens that up and draws people in because they see, wow, the Bible is a relevant book. The Bible is speaking to things that are taking place in our world today. And I think it's foolish of us not to utilize prophecy, uh, not, not to, in, our, in our witnessing, in our evangelism, uh, to speak of the things that are, you know, that we connect with the things that are taking place in the world today, and particularly w what's going on with Israel, the nation of Israel. Um, you know, so many things that are taking place over there in the Middle East, and, 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 and it's interesting how the whole world, in a sense, is focused on that, and just like the Bible tells us. And so there's many things that we can begin to, you know, witness to people um, that are relevant to what's going on and what's, what's going to take place, because uh, I think also, too, uh, we see things regarding what's, take, what's going to take place in the world that we can tell people. Because I think there's a lot of people that, um, I, I, you know, they're skeptical. They're concerned. Uh, they, they've been, you know, fed a bill of goods that the Bible is a book of fables and things of that nature. But I think that we can tell them things relative to the future that even though we're not in the, we may not be in the picture or they may find themselves in the tribulation period. I would imagine... And I believe this is true, that there are some of our loved ones, uh, maybe some of even our children, people that have grown up in our home, uh, that have not really put their faith in Jesus Christ as of yet. Um, I think sometimes there is this attitude, well, yeah, I believe in the Bible. I believe what it says. Uh, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I'm really not quite ready. I'm not quite ready to commit my life uh, and, and to turn my life over to him. And I think there's a lot of people going to fall in that category that are going to find themselves in the tribulation period. They're going to find themselves in the day of the Lord. And I think as we speak to them prophecy about things that are going to come down, things that are going to take place, like one of the things that uh, I think has been a, a, a popular thing, um, prophetic thing, is the mark of the beast. Um, and how, you know, we've told people, make sure that if you find yourself in that time, you don't want to take the mark of the beast, you know, on your forehead or on your hand, uh, because it's certainly coming. And, um, and we can see, you know, technology, um, you know, that, that indicates, you know, that kind of thing can very easily happen. Uh, so I think there's things simply like that, uh, that we can share with people, you know, that are going to, you know, impact their life. Uh, and perhaps at that time, they'll realize, and, and, of course, uh, uh, the church will be gone then, um, and I don't know how that's going to be explained away. Okay, I'm sure there... Uh, one of the questions I've, I've wondered about um, with uh, a potential nuclear holocaust, will the rapture occur um, coinciding with that? Um, which would, in a sense, explain, uh, again, I'm speculating here, but which, in a sense, could explain a vast amount of people just sort of gone. Because uh, if there's a nuclear holocaust, uh, there's going to be uh, populations of people that are just simply vaporized. Uh, so I wonder if, you know, the rapture does coincide with that, that that'll be an explanation of, you know, you know, where is, <clears throat> you know, where is my brother? You know, where is my dad or my mom? Um, you know, but I, but I think also, too, uh, when we speak to them uh, about prophetic things, uh, I think it's very important that we tell them about the rapture. And it sounds fantastic. It sounds absolutely 
uh, way out there and fantastic, but the fact of the matter is um, that is going to happen. That, that is clearly uh, going to happen uh, at a future time, and, and, and of course it's going to happen before the tribulation period. Now the second question that we see here that it prompts uh, is who has the authority to open this up, this scroll with its seven seals? Um, and we're told here, we're told that in verses 5 and verses 6. Uh, but one of the elders said to me, <clears throat> to John, do not weep. Be, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, uh, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And so I'm convinced here that John's weeping uh, is a weeping for the nation of Israel. I think he's weeping for his people. And uh, uh, you, you see that uh, uh, with Daniel. He's, in a sense, uh, broken before the Lord as he's crying out and praying in his prayers for the nation of Israel, you know, as they're in a place of captivity. And, you know, as I was thinking about that, have we ever, and I think it's an important question I think we need to ask ourselves, have we ever really wept for our loved ones? I think, I, think the, I think weeping gives prayer a, a tremendous value. And, and I think that there, could, there needs to be a time when we do that. Not that every prayer meeting, every time we pray, we're weeping. Uh, I don't think that's realistic, but I think there needs to come a time that concerning those whom we love. And we know that they're not walking with Christ, that, that they're lost, and that they will be eternally lost. Uh, that we will never have the privilege of being with them in eternity if they don't really turn to Jesus Christ. And I think that when we consider, and I think we need to do that. I, I think that we need to have those kinds of prayers and intercessions, you know, for those kinds of, you know, those kinds of situations and those that we love, that we're actually brought to tears. Um, I, I think that, uh, you, know, the, you know, the scripture says over in one of the Psalms that God keeps our tears in a bottle. In other words, he, he honors them. He, he sees them. He recognizes them. And we have something actually somewhat similar here. But, but the question here that we find in verses 5 is really is one of worthiness. In other words, who is worthy? Uh, and I would imagine that um, if you were to ask some of the great men of history, that they would think they're worthy. Um, you know, to, 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 to walk up to the throne of God and to take the scroll out of God's hand and open those seals. I imagine men like Alexander the Great probably thought that he was worthy. You know, men like uh, uh, Genghis Khan, men like Charlemagne, uh, Napoleon, uh, some of the great kings of Europe. I would imagine these men, well, yeah, sure, I can do that. But the fact of the matter is, nobody is worthy. Nobody except our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, and it's because of the cross. That, that's why he, he is the, the worthy one. Um, and uh, we're told here, we're, we're given this, um, this symbol. And we see that going all the way back to Genesis, actually 49, that he's the line of the tribe of Judah. Uh, the line being the symbol of might and power, authority, kingship. Um, and you know something, you know, too, to the rebel, he becomes a lion. To those who rebel against him, he becomes a lion. Um, and we see, again, we see that all the way back, um, beginning there in the book of Genesis. We haven't gotten to 
Uh, actually, in a few chapters, we'll get to chapter 49, where we get a number of prophecies. And the prophecy there about Judah is the scepter, the, the ruling scepter shall not depart from Judah, and he, he will be a lion. Um, and he says here, uh, referring to Christ as the root of David, uh, he comes after David, he's the very root of David. Uh, and, and because of the cross, he has prevailed. He has become victorious because of the cross. And you know what? That's where our victory is, is as well. Our victory is in his victory. Um, this is, what's it say, I think, in, uh, uh, is it uh, Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians? Uh, the, no, it, uh, it's uh, over in 1 John. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Uh, but uh, there's a reference there in, uh, in, um, in 1 Corinthians 15. It might be verses 52 or something like that. Uh, where basically his victory is ascribed to us. We enter in. That's what, that's what faith does. Faith beautifully uh, opens the door where we enter in, and all that accrues to Jesus Christ becomes wonderfully available. That's why you know, the, he tells us over there in Hebrews uh, that we have access to this throne of grace uh, to find whatever help we need, and, you know, whatever help you know, in time of need. Uh, so you know, when you think about what's available to us. Paul, um, in his writing, speaks about the riches of Christ. There, there is so much spiritually, and that's why it's important to realize uh, we have to be careful because when you think about, uh, you know, there's prosperity doctrine today, um, and, and what they do is they isolate some scriptures. Now, the thing that's interesting, because what they do is, is they misapply scripture, basically. Riches Material wealth is promised to the Jew. That's, that's what has been promised to the Jew from the very beginning. They're an earthly people. But when you get to like Corinthians, uh, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, that you and I have been given, you know, all the spiritual blessings in heavenly places. In other words, all that God has given to us is not so much, now, we're, now we are blessed, okay? Uh, God has wonderfully blessed us materially. But, but that's really not what the Bible's speaking about. The Bible's speaking about you and I have available to us great riches in Jesus Christ and how it's important that we access that. And, and we access that by faith. We access that by prayer. You know, the Bible speaks about, you know, ask and you shall receive, uh, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you. And one way to remember that very easily is the acronym of ASK. Ask, seek, and knock. Um, and, and God, and, and interestingly, the Lord, you know, uses different terms like, you know, whatsoever you ask in my name, I'll give you. And I think he, he uses that to just spark in us uh, a realization that we have not because we ask not, that, that there's so much if we're lacking something. And I think be careful that you don't become hopeless in your faith and give up because maybe you find some shortage in yourself. You find, you know, some you know, some area of barrenness or emptiness in yourself. And that's why we need to keep coming and keep calling upon the Lord and asking him to do that which we cannot do. Uh, that's why God can, you know, our God is a miracle-working God. When I think about God answering prayer, man, I, I, I come to realize that, that many answers to prayer are miraculous. I don't call them, you know, big, bodacious kind of miracles. But I think some of the little things that God does for us are, are miraculous uh, as far as his intervention, as far as his working in answering those prayers and doing what, um, you know, what we ask him to do as it lines up uh, with his will.
Now, verse 6, now he's announced as a lion, but when John looks and sees him, John sees a lamb. And, and of course, when you, what, remember we talked about at the very beginning, we see a tremendous amount of symbols in this book. And when we see a lamb here, what we're seeing is meekness, submission, innocence, sacrifice. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent, in all, sent into all the earth. So to those who are rebel, he's a, he's a lion. To those who come to him humbly, oh, he's a lamb. We were watching... Uh, with the kids, my grandkids were here this week, and once again, <clears throat> you know, you can see the you can see the th this theme in the Chronicles of Narnia. And uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia, Nar the land of Narnia is under eternal winter; it's under the control of the White Witch, um, and it's only uh, because of you know Aslan the Lion that he he willingly allows himself to be executed. Uh, to, be, to bring freedom and victory, you know, to the, to the kingdom of Narnia. Uh, and and, and it's a, if you've never read the books, or uh, probably most of us have, uh, I think uh, Disney cranked out two movies. Uh, there, I, there was, I don't think there was a third uh, sequel to the, even though it was like, f I think, five or six books uh, in the series. Uh, but uh, great story, uh, especially for kids. And, uh, and as, as watching with my grandkids, I was kind of blessed watching it as well. And so John here, he sees this, this lamb as though it had been slain. Now, we're not going to see a lamb walking around heaven with blood on it, okay? What we're going to see is the Lord Jesus Christ, but on him we're going to see the marks of redemption. There will be an eternal reminder of his love, of his mercy and his grace and all that he had done, basically. These are the scars of redemption, and, and as John's seeing him now, he's seeing also through seven horns. Horns, a horn basically is a symbol of authority and power. And so you see complete authority and power in him. Now this is interesting because this is a prelude to what's going to happen in chapter 6 and the rest of the book. Remember Jesus said when he departed, I think it was in Matthew 28, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And so John is seeing him, you know, in that kind of way. Also, too, when he sees the seven eyes, which really speaks of the fact of discernment and intelligence, um, you know, the, again, the, the omniscience, you know, of our God. He's all-knowing. He's all-seeing. He knows all things. He sees all things. He understands all things. And that's why, you know, when we oftentimes, are, our lives are kind of muddled and confused, we need to come to him. You know, he's the source. You know, he's the one uh, that has the answers. You know, he's the one that has the insight. He's the one that can give us the discernment. Also, I, I think also in that, you know, coming to the Lord, we come to him in a sense also as we read his word. I, I wonder how many times there's an answer for you and me in the word of God, but we're not reading it. You know, we pray. You know, it's interesting. You know, when you talk about prayer and reading the Bible, when we talk about devotions, but we'll look at it like this. Look at, look at it like this. Look at, uh, prayer is our asking God, our seeking God, our, our praying, our, our uh, interceding. But to complete that circuit is the Word of God. The Word of God is God speaking to us. That's what completes the circuit. And, and I just kind of wish God would speak to me audibly, okay? Um, 
you know, sometimes, you know, we, we feel that we're spiritually dyslexic and, and, you know, we need some kind of direct intervention or something like that. But you know what? God will speak to you in the word. You know, God will speak to you. God will give to you and I uh, simply what we need. But we, I want you to notice also, too, here that we see the Lord Jesus Christ. He's standing. In the church age, what's he doing? He's sitting, okay? He's interceding. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's standing up. He's ready. He's, he's actually interceding now. And what's happening? He's about to take action. And again, that is the prelude that we see here um, that, that is going to take place before uh, he moves, you know, and, and, and uh, begins to, uh, when this tribulation period kicks in. Now, uh, in verse 8, if you remember these four extraordinary creatures, these angelic creatures, we saw them initially over in chapter 4. And uh, we see them once again in verse 8. And what they're doing, basically, is they're recognizing his deity, his greatness. Uh, and, and what happens, what takes place here is not only these creatures, but all of heaven is just sort of overcome with worship. They're, they're, just, they're just overwhelmed with a sense of worship. Has that ever happened to you? I, I know it doesn't happen to us all the time, but I think it needs to happen to us once in a while, where we're just sort of, we're worshiping the Lord. Maybe we're just singing like any other song service, and all of a sudden, we're just sort of overwhelmed with a sense of his presence, and it just, and it's just, you want to worship him. And maybe you even begin to just sort of speak in tongues, you know, under your breath, you know, just in adoration, because oftentimes when it comes to him, it comes to worshiping him in those kind of moments, we don't know what to say. And sometimes we just keep saying, praise you, Lord, praise you, Lord. You feel like you need, you feel like there needs to be something more to just adore him and to thank him and to praise him for who he is. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are, the, which, are, which are the prayers of the saints. I don't know if, um, how musically inclined you are. Um, I don't know if when you get to heaven, you've been praying about, Lord, give me a, give me perfect pitch. Give, give me a, give me, you know, just, um, you know, give me a voice. Uh, maybe us guys could say, give us a voice like Josh Grogan or something like that, you know. Um, or uh, I don't play any instrument. And, and I, I don't know, I'm looking forward to picking up something in heaven. Um, I don't know if you, if, you, if you hear some twang going on in the back of the, maybe, okay, there's Pastor Ray. There's Ray back there, twanging away, you know. And, uh, um, but it's going to be glorious, won't it be? Just awesome. To think, uh, and I think again in our glorified bodies that we'll be perfectly capable to probably play any instrument we want, uh, to probably modulate our voice in, in any 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 kind of particular uh, uh, mode. But I think here there's a ver I think there's a very important truth here that I, I don't want to gloss over it, and I want you to note how the elders here, they're also holding golden bowls full of the prayers of the saints, the prayers of God's people. And I think that like them, now these are the prayers. I believe that these are the prayers that are unanswered. These are the prayers of, for instance, when you look sometimes at the Psalms and they're saying, how long? 
And remember we see the saints under the altar. They're saying, how long, uh, dear Lord, uh, until, uh, you know, basically uh, vengeance has taken place, you know, for their blood. And I believe that all these prayers, and probably you and I probably have a couple prayers in there. That maybe we're praying for somebody that are going to get saved during this awful time. But I think like these elders, that you and I have a very important role, and that is simply this, folks, to pray. It's simple, but it's incredibly profound. We have a role to play. Your prayers are unique. Your prayers are like nobody else's prayers because they're praying for people that maybe nobody else is praying for. And that's why it's important that we are a praying people. I believe that when we come to prayer, that we enter into the intercessions of Christ. That's why it tells us in, in I think, Romans 8.26 that we don't always know what to pray for, but the Holy Spirit intercedes in us and through us. And sometimes he may intercede through us through groanings. Or sometimes he may just give us, you know, the person, the words to pray. Or, or sometimes, you know, it, it may be in an unknown tongue. But I think that when we come by faith to pray, even when we don't know what to pray for, and I'm a prayer list guy. I've told you that before. I, I've got so many different prayer lists uh, where I, I date them and then, I uh, start another one and throw that one away. And, and, and I, I've done this pretty much for the last 30 years, just making up different prayer lists. But a lot of times I just come to prayer, and I don't feel like praying for anything on that list. And the Lord knows there's something else. But I believe that when we avail ourselves by faith, that God will speak to us and through us. And sometimes I just got to come to prayer, and I say, Lord, I need you to help me to pray. Or my mind's some other place. There's all kinds of distractions. Folks, the need around us is so incredible. Do you know somebody jumped off the Bay Bridge last night, took their life, parked their car, and just jumped off the bridge? I was at a funeral home this week, and I was blown away by the fact that the funeral director was telling the families that we're going to have to move, we're going to have to move you through here, kind of quickly. Um, in that one funeral home, one funeral home in Greece, they were dealing with eleven overdoses of heroin and opium. That's one funeral home in Greece. God help us. God help the church to see the dying world around us. If we are not going to pray, who is going to pray? We need to pray. Because God will hear us. He says, we have not because we ask not. And there, and, and there are people that touch each one of our lives. And, and, and in that sphere of your influence, that your life has impact upon those people, praying for them. And at some point, witnessing and sharing your faith with them. 
I keep wondering, Lord, if there's ever been, I think, a, re a need for a revival in, in the history of the church. If it ain't now, never. If it ain't now, never. And we always pray, God, start with us. Revive us. Do a, do a work in our lives and our families. Because we need to see people coming to Christ. And I think that it, it, it falls to each one of us, an opportunity. And to pray, Lord, help me to be. You know, the Holy Spirit initially, when you see in Acts chapter 1 and 2, is given that they would be witnesses. That they would be witnesses. That's why the Holy Spirit is given to us to witness of our faith to a dying world of a Savior who gives life. And I think the danger for the church today is just caught up in the world. Trivial pursuits. Somebody put it like this, straightening up the deck chairs on the Titanic. Kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? And in God promises if we put him first, he'll take care of all the other stuff, won't he? He'll take care of all that other stuff we worry about and we make priorities in our life. We put him first. And, I, and that's why we're, we're having prayer tonight. And we have prayer during the course of the week. You, you, you need to be in a prayer meeting. Even if it's not around here in this location, you need to be in a prayer meeting. Because one of the things that I find about you know, prayer it's very easy to be discouraged, isn't it, in prayer? Very, very easy. And when we join with other people, man, we're inspired. We're encouraged. And we need, we need to have that. <clears throat> now, it says they sang a new song. We're, we're given the lyrics, but we don't know the melody. And the song is, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us um, to God. You know, only the redeemed can sing this song. And you know what? It's a personal song. That's why I disagree with some of, some of the translations. Some of the translations say, you redeemed them to God and have made, have made them kings and priests and they shall reign on the earth. No, it doesn't say that. It says... You have redeemed us to God and made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. You see, it's a very personal song. And it's the redeemed that are basically singing it. You ever notice how the natural man has crafted a hundred million songs with all the different categories and so forth? But all those songs, at the end of the day, you know what? They're going to be meaningless. They're going to be forgotten because you know what? The goal is wrong. Singing has been originally designed to sing to our God, to worship Him, to praise Him. See, praise and worship is eternal because we're adoring the one who is worthy. You notice how secular songs, you know, they, the, the object of the song, the goal of the song, the focus of the song is, you know, my dog has fleas, or maybe that's a country western theme. I don't know, but uh, 
There's all kinds of crazy themes and focus. And you know the beautiful thing about when you and I worship, it edifies us. It builds us up. There, there's, a, there's a blowback, if you will, a blessed blowback that, that comes to you and I as we worship him, as we praise him, as we thank him. And again, this is something, this is something that only the redeemed can really sing. And now joining in this chorus, verse 11, are just millions, he says thousands times ten thousands, uh, of, of angels. Can you imagine what that's going to sound like? We're going to be there. We're going to be there. You know, the worship team says that when they're up here, they can hear everybody singing. You know, like when you're in the back, it's kind of hard, you know. But um, can you imagine being in that throng of people and praising it is going to be so magnificent. I've been in, 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 in uh, like, for instance, when we go to Sandy Cove, uh, last time I think there was like 1,200 guys there. And I'll tell you what, if you're in the front and you've got a wig on, they're going to blow it right off. I tell you, I tell you these guys are singing. They, they are singing. Man, they are, they, it's like, wow. And usually when we take, I've been, well, we've been going down there for 25 years. I think this is our 25th year. But usually when I take somebody new down there, it's like they're like, whoa. And, and you know what? It's a little taste of heaven. Worship is a little foretaste of what glory in heaven is going to be like. That's why it's important. As, we, as I encouraged you last week, be a worshiper. Be a worshiper. He's, that's what the Lord's looking for. He's not just looking for slaves, people to serve him and do dirty jobs. He's looking for worshipers. Yes, we are servants, but first and foremost, he's looking for us. And there's, again, there's, there's a great blessing of edification that comes back to us as that happens. The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, riches, and wisdom, uh, and strength and glory, excuse me, strength and honor, glory uh, and blessing. You know, worship is a mainstay of heaven. In other words, it's a centerpiece. And I think it's very important that we need to be honest with ourselves that if we cannot find it in ourselves to worship, I think we need to ask ourselves, am I redeemed? I think it's an honest question. If it's simply not there, and if it isn't there, say, Lord, Lord, change me. Lord, make me a worshiper. Because it's only the redeemed. It's only those who love him, only those who recognize his, his greatness, his worth. It's interesting when you talk about worship. When you talk about worship, it comes out of the old English word, worth, worthy, or worth. And we worship him because he is worthy. He is worth the adoration and the praise of our lives. And I tell you what, we cannot really fully apprehend that unless the Spirit of God is in our lives. So if you find yourself unable to, I say, I just can't. I, I tried. I, I sing. I move my lips. But is my heart moving? I think we need to be honest about that. And, and 
we find it's not there, say, Lord, I need it to be there. Lord, I want to be a worshiper. Lord, come into my life. Lord, change me, fill me, help me. So worthy is the lamb who was slain, the worthy one. Out of his great love, he bore the cross. He paid the price. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that is in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor, glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures, those angelic creatures, said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. So the theme here we find as John is on the heavenly scene, the theme is worship. But the subject is different. The subject is basically the joy that takes place because Jesus Christ is about to exercise his power, his dominion. He is about, as he has stepped out of this role of intercessor, the age of grace is over, and now he is about to exercise his power, his dominion. He is going to subdue all the rebellion that we see in this world. And you know what? They know that. They know that. That's why they are praising him. They are worshiping him. And I'll tell you what, a lot of people, when they look at life, and, and you know, life isn't fair. Life is not fair at all. There are, th there are awful things that can happen to us, even as believers. We see a lot of tragedy in our world today. No doubt, that who, I don't know if this was a man or a woman who jumped off of that bridge. But here is a soul that had no hope. Isn't it sad? Don't any one of us wish, oh, I could just have the guy for 10 minutes. If I could just talk to him for 10 minutes. Maybe the Lord could get through to him. And so the joy that we see here in heaven is over the fact that God is going to make all things right. We are on the precipice of a different world, of a new age. And because of our faithfulness and our service here and now, we can have a blessed and wonderful position in that kingdom. Live for him now. Live for him now. I know that seems to many people like a great price, but it's really a little price. He paid the great price, didn't he? And we want to celebrate that right now. I'm going to ask the ushers and the worship team to come up, uh, distribute the elements of communion. And as maybe perhaps the Lord's been speaking to you lately, maybe some things that we've said over the last couple of weeks has confirmed to you to uh, say, Lord, do that in me. Lord, work in me. Maybe this morning you need to say, Lord, make me yours. If you recognize that need in your life, fear not. The Lord is right here. He's ready, willing, and able to meet each one of us.
So let's worship now. And uh, as we sing and worship, let's close our eyes and meditate. to recognize our need for you, to recognize the cross. Lord, indeed, is a great revelation. And Lord, we want to thank you that because of the cross, 
Lord, you have given us life. You've given us a desire to worship you, to give you thanks, to give you praise. But Lord, I think more importantly than just giving you lip service, Lord, help us, we pray, to live for you, to lay down our interest. And as you tell us, Lord, to take up our cross and to follow after you. We are thankful, Lord, for your great redemptive act, your work on the cross. Lord, not only is it a powerful example, but Lord, it's the power to deliver. And we see, Lord, in this fifth chapter of Revelation, Lord, it, it's also, Lord, the thing whereby, Lord, you're able to, to speak to us and to give us insight, to give us understanding, to help us realize, Lord, what's coming down in our world. And Lord, you've also given us a message. How I pray, Father, that we would be active witnesses, Lord, of your truth and of your word, and communicating, Lord, to those around us. And we see the tremendous emptiness. We see the hopelessness, the defeat, the failure. Lord, the messed up lives. Lord, people. Lord, overdosing. Lord, these are our neighbors, people that we work with. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us, Lord, your heart, a heart of love and compassion. Lord, a heart of love that was the same heart that took you to a cross to live sacrificially, to give life to others. Lord, we're truly grateful for that. And Lord, we want to see that replicated, Lord, in our lives. Lord, we're told that we're your body that we represent you. Lord, help us, we pray, in this new year. And Lord, this could be the last year, the final year, Lord, when you come for the church. So help us, we pray, to be ready. Lord, to be faithful, to be busy about our Father's business. And so, Lord, as we receive these emblems, Lord, we're truly grateful, we're honored, we're blessed. And I pray, Father, as we receive them into our bodies, that, Lord, also, too, that you might fill us afresh, Lord, with your life, with your power, Lord, with your blessed Holy Spirit. Let us partake. And Lord, as we take this cup and put it upon our lips, it just represents cleansing power, the power of the blood of Jesus. And Lord, we, we look to you this morning, and we ask you, Lord, that you would forgive our sins, and that you would work in our hearts if there be any bondage, any addictions, 
anything that would have power over us. Lord, we look to you to break that power and to give us power, Lord, to live for you. Let us drink. Amen. Let's stand.